chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. This is the word of the Lord. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This is the word of God. All right, so today we have a guest speaker. And our guest speaker is uh, Pastor Jeremy Mulder, and he comes to us from a church called Restore in North Halden, New Jersey. And, uh, you know, just a little bit of his biography from his website, and then I'll, I'll share a little bit of a word or two. But, uh, you know, Jeremy, I think he, he planted uh, Restore, and uh, he and his wife have been married since 2000, which makes this year the 20th uh, anniversary. And he, they have together six children. And I think for many of us, we can't even imagine what it's like to have six children and uh, what kind of vehicle you would need for six children. Uh, but they've done it and they have six children. So uh, definitely a lot of admiration for, uh, um, you know, actually being able to do things in life with six children. But he, um, the, the way I know him, uh, he's part of the Christian Reformed Church, which uh, I think many of you know is a, is a denomination that uh, we are potentially going to join uh, in the future. And uh, currently he's serving in the denomination um, as something called the Stated Clerk, which is like, uh, you know, it's a lot of work actually. So uh, I'm thankful that he uh, he's doing it, but basically organizing and running a bunch of the meetings for something called Classes, which is like, uh, you know, a bunch of churches in the region. And, um, you know, about three or four times a year, these churches meet together uh, and, you know, fellowship together, but also conduct the business of, uh, you know, churches and denominations together. So um, I thought it would be great to invite him uh, just to expose some of you all to uh, just different people in the Christian Reformed Church. So without further ado, uh, I'm going to hand it off to Pastor Jeremy, who will deliver today's word. Well, thanks, Sam. Uh, can everybody hear me? Just a nod or something? Perfect. Great. Uh, it is great to be with all of you. Um, as I see your faces and your children, I almost wish that I had set up my camera in like the family room so you could see my children running around in the background as well. We, Our church is uh, celebrating these days during the pandemic by pre-recording our services. So we sat down at 9.30 this morning as a family and did our church service at Restore, and, and now it's really great to join you all. And if there is one benefit of the pandemic that we're in, it's that we do get to do this, that I do have the opportunity to see other churches and, and fellowship with you and experience um, your worship service. This is the first time that I've done a worship service or preached over Zoom. So that it's been a been a great experience. I applaud all of you in, in continuing with that uh, during this time. As Sam said earlier, you know we all desire to be together, but during this season, you know the church has gone through many pandemics in the history of the church over two thousand years. But we are blessed in that this is the first pandemic that the church has gone through where we've had the technology to really keep one another safe and yet still connect around the Word of God. So. I'm very thankful for that. Uh, as Sam has already introduced, I did uh, plant my church, Restore, 10 years ago, uh, and we we love it. We love getting to know all the other churches in the denomination. We do have six kids, and we do drive a Suburban. That That is the vehicle. You know, it was either that or driving like a 12-passenger van, and uh, 
my wife did not want to drive a 12 passenger van. So we said, okay, there, we can only fit six kids in the suburban. And so that was our limit. That was like, I'm not getting a bigger vehicle. That's as big as they make. This is the one. So that is what we drive. Um, but anyway, we, uh, I, I'm, I'm thankful to be here today uh, and be able to join you. And as Sam already read, I want to talk to us this morning from Luke chapter two and really reflect on this question of joy. What does it mean to have joy? You know, we know the Christian message and the Christmas message is a good news of great joy message, but what is joy? And I think if we were to answer that question, many of us would answer it and we would describe joy as the feeling of gladness or happiness. And that's not wrong. You know, in the scripture, oftentimes joy is used to describe those feelings of gladness or happiness. And of course, we've seen this, you know, some of my, some of the most iconic uh, images probably that we have are those of people celebrating in joy. You know, the, the end of, if you're a sports fan, you know, the end of a sports game, whether it's the game-winning shot in basketball or the, the goal scored at the end of regulation in soccer or the field goal kicked at the end of a football game, you know, the, those moments just well up in people, a sense of gladness and happiness, the endorphins rush into their body and they begin to celebrate in a way that they would never do, right? In a normal time, like joy, that sense of gladness and happiness can cause us to almost lose our minds. I, I watched a, a game, just the, or a, a video clip from a, a football game that was happening, a high school football game in like Texas or Alabama. Um, and somewhere they're still playing football despite the pandemic. So it was something like that. So they down in Texas and, and Alabama and the team won on a game-winning field goal. And you've probably seen an image like this on TV. And the, the kicker, the guy who made it just sprinted. He just ran, just sprinted into nowhere with his teammates chasing him. And there's coaches dancing in the corners of the field. And, and no one's even nearby. And they're just dancing and cheering. Um, I remember when I was four years old, uh, there was an image that I saw at the end of a sports game. Of and, and it just so happens that this month is uh, the Jimmy Valvano uh, fundraiser for cancer research. But back in 1983, Jim Valvano was just a he was a basketball coach for North Carolina State and North Carolina State won the national title game at the buzzer. And there's this iconic video that is always I've always remembered of Jim Valvano, the coach running around the basketball court just like he doesn't even know why he's there. He's forgotten that he's a basketball coach. He's forgotten why he's on a basketball court at all. He's running around trying to find somebody to remind him, why am I here? Uh, and it's the, that's what gladness and happiness can do. It's this rush of emotion and energy and we chase after it and it can become so powerful for us that it can become addictive. You know, so many people chase down these feelings in this sense of gladness and happiness. But the question is, what is joy when those feelings of gladness and happiness seem elusive to us? What is joy when gladness and happiness no longer seem to be so readily accessible, or at least they seem restrained or restricted for a time? You know, what happens during a year like 2020, where uh, many of the things that we used to do that would bring us great joy, even gathering with our church community is restricted. I had to talk with this, uh, with my, with the staff in our church this week. And I said, I've really been wrestling with this during this Christmas season. 
because I love Christmas. The time between Thanksgiving and Christmas is my favorite time of the year. And up until now, in all of my years of celebrating Christmas, I've never had to think about why. It was just, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I, I found great gladness and happiness. But this year, I've really been wrestling with it because all of a sudden I didn't feel like it was a happy time. Not that I really wanted 2020 to just, I didn't want to just skip the season, but I kind of did. You know, I'm kind of like, let's get to 2021. Like, you know, Christmas, sorry, right, great. Let's just get through it, make it happen, get to next year. Hopefully things start looking up. There's good news on the horizon. You know, let's just kind of get through this. And it just felt like my gladness and happiness were taken, you know. And I realized that so many of the things that I used to enjoy about Christmas, you know, the, the, the staff party that we can't have this year the party with our small group that we're not having. You know, we would have any opportunity to invite friends over just to have eggnog. You know, th those were the things that we really enjoyed about Christmas or even Christmas routines that we had. You know, I like one of my favorite things in the Christmas season is going to Target and shopping in the dollar section and just filling my cart with the garbage that they're selling. You know, just fill it up because I figure... At some point, it's going in somebody's stocking or it's going to a white elephant or something, or a secret Santa gift or whatever. Things that I used to enjoy, now they feel like a chore, right? I don't really want to do that anymore, or at least not this year. So what do we do when gladness and happiness seem elusive? Where is joy? Well, what we need to recognize is that gladness and happiness are not the substance of our joy. Gladness and happiness are the emotions of our joy, but they're not the substance of our joy. And so what I want to do is we consider this passage this morning of the Christmas message being a message of good news that's for great joy. I want to go and look at three places in scripture that help us land on and embrace our joy, even when gladness and happiness are elusive. How does the believer continue to have joy even when we don't necessarily experience the emotions of joy. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to look at the confidence of our joy, the confirmation of our joy, and the, the craving of our joy. And I was, one thing that made me happy was that all those words started with C. Okay, so this is really exciting. The confidence of our joy, the confirmation of our joy, and the craving of our joy. And to begin with, we're going to look at John chapter 16, and we're going to look at the confidence of our joy. Now, I'm going to read this to us. If you want to pull it up on a phone or something, you can do that. Um, I don't think I have screen sharing capabilities, so uh, I don't know. Maybe. Do I, Sam? Can I share something or not? Oh, look at that. Let me see if I can. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm hitting the wrong button. This is what John says from John 16. A little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I'm going to the father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, 
You will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. I did some studying on the word joy uh, as I prepared for this sermon. And I don't know if it was encouraging or discouraging to discover. All fall, we've been talking about at Restore what it means to be in exile. And we said there's one thing that 2020 probably has helped us to realize. It's that the Christian is called to live as an exile, right? We are wanderers and sojourners. And so we've probably felt that way. Uh, I, probably for most of us, we felt displaced by uh, the political fray and, and the divisions in politics. We've probably felt, you know, we've obviously felt displaced by the pandemic and we've wondered what our role is as believers in the world. So I don't know if it was discouraging or encouraging to discover that as you look at joy in the scripture, you find out that one of the hallmarks of being in the exile is the absence of joy. Is that you, uh, the prophets in particular, have said to the people of Judea and Israel as they were brought into exile that they would be robbed of their joy, that their joy, they would have an absence of joy. Now, the good news and the promise is that Jesus and God in, in the Old Testament always promises that joy would be renewed. Well, something like that is happening in John 16. Um, Jesus is sharing with his disciples that they're about to enter this period of great sorrow, of weeping and lament. And for them, they probably didn't fully understand it. We know that they didn't fully understand what he was talking about. In John 16, Jesus has just finished having the Last Supper with his disciples. And now they're, and that's a feast. I mean, it's food in abundance. There's, it's joyful. There's wine flowing. Um, it, it's a good time. And now they're walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus begins to teach them with an urgency that he has not taught them previous to this. And so the disciples know that something is going on. Jesus was a little bit off at dinner. I don't know if you've ever been to a dinner party, but I doubt that uh, at a dinner party, one of your friends turned to someone else at the table and said, this person's going to betray me. That's what Jesus does, does at the Last Supper. So the disciples know there's something off. He's teaching with a greater urgency, but they really don't understand what he's talking about because he's telling them, you are about to enter into this moment of sorrow. You are about to enter into this moment of, of lament, of weeping. And they're openly admitting they have no idea what he's talking about. You know, they're like, what, what is this? What is he saying? He's going to go to the Father. He's going to leave us. We don't get it. And I'm personally always encouraged by passages like that because I think we all have a tendency to get frustrated at our children or even friends. Or maybe it's somebody that we've been discipling in the faith. And sometimes we think, why aren't they further along? You know, why haven't they learned more? Why don't they get it? And then I see these passages of Jesus and his disciples, and I realize, you know, these guys were with Jesus for three years, and they're still confused. And so they have no idea what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus says, look, let me explain it to you like this. What I'm telling you is that you're going to have dark days ahead. I'm telling you that you're going to face sorrow and depression and anger and sadness, unlike anything you have ever seen. You're going to face weeping and lamenting because I am going to leave you. You're going to have a moment where gladness and happiness seem elusive. 
a moment where those things that used to bring you pleasure, the thing that would make the endorphins rush into your body and your brain, those things are going to be gone. The things that used to make you happy, the food and the drink isn't going to taste like it used to. But as there so often is in scripture, there's this transformative, glorious word in the middle. The word is but. You will have sorrow, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Why is it that Jesus can so confidently say to his disciples that even though you're going to face sorrow, there is a day coming when you will receive joy that cannot be removed from you? Well, the answer for the disciples is the same as it is for us. It's the resurrection. Jesus says that you're going to go through a moment of sorrow. You're going to go through a moment of depression. But I can guarantee you this, that a day is coming when you will have joy that cannot be taken. And he says it's true because of the resurrection. This is what the apostles held out in front of the church. It's what Jesus held out in front of his disciples, that the foundation for our joy is the resurrection. The question for the Christian as we seek out joy is, did Jesus get out of the grave or not? Did Jesus rise from the dead or not? You know, throughout scripture, joy is frequently and almost always associated with victory over one's enemies. That this is where we receive joy. The Psalms of David, where he expresses great joy, Psalms that were supposed to be sung within the congregation, stem from moments of victory over his enemies. Let me read one of those to us from uh, Psalm 72 or 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David's joy when he brings his sacrifice into the temple is the victory over his enemy that has been offered him in Jesus Christ, in God. And now we discover that that same victory is offered to us, victory over our enemies in the resurrection. Jesus is saying that the source of our joy, the foundation of our joy, is the fact that he has defeated our enemies, even death. It is the assurance of victory that brings the Christian their joy. The resurrection of Jesus affirms to us that no matter what else we face in 2020, that we have confidence in our joy in the resurrection. And, you know, that's something that in 2020, I hope we reflect on. That Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, if the resurrection isn't true, then we're the greatest fools. In 2020 kind of hammers that home for us, doesn't it? That as believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the assurance of joy. We have the foundation for joy. We have a reason for joy in spite of a year like 2020. But if the resurrection's not true, then we're foolish. Because we should look around and lament 2020. We should look around and have sorrow, sorrow, sadness, weeping. That is a reasonable reaction to a year like we are going through even now. 
But believers, we hold out this assurance of our joy that we know that a day is coming when the world will finally be completely renewed, when it will be restored, that even now when things look challenging and are dark and difficult, yet we believers know that a day is coming when Jesus will return, when all good things will be restored because of the resurrection. That's the foundation. That is the, that is the, 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 um, that is the confidence of our joy. So what about the confirmation of our joy? And that's what I want to consider next, the confirmation of our joy. Now, so we have the confidence. And now as believers, we want to know, how does that apply? How can we have confirmation in that joy? So we're going to look at another place in Scripture. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 5. I'm just going to read us two verses from there. Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, every uh, every few years or so at Restore, we go through the Advent season. We use the church calendar to do Advent. And if you're not familiar with that, Advent is... Uh, typically, it's a season of expectant waiting for Jesus to come, and we celebrate it not just looking forward to his birth, but also looking forward to his return. And it's typically signified by, you know, having a wreath, and around the wreath you have four candles, and those four candles represent something. In the center you have a candle that represents Christ, but around the outside of the wreath is four candles that represent hope, uh, peace, joy, and love. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Now, all of these things are elusive to us. They, that's one of the things they share in common, that they can all be elusive the way that joy can be elusive. But there's something that three of these candles have in common that the other one doesn't. Hope, peace, joy, and love. Well, three of these candles, love, peace, and joy, share in common that they are fruit of the Spirit. They are what Paul tells us is the, is the outworking of Christ of the Spirit of God living within you. The fruit of the Spirit that Paul describes in the book of Galatians are the things that begin to develop in us when we have put our confidence and our faith in Christ. That we know in the New Testament, and Jesus tells us that when we place our confidence in him, he, he embeds his Spirit in us. His Spirit comes to live within us so that it begins to work out within us what is already made true of us in Jesus. In Jesus, we are justified before God. In Jesus, we are made perfect. We are made righteous before God. The Spirit's work works out that righteousness that's already true of us in Jesus and begins to work it out in our hearts that we become more like Jesus as we follow him, that we're continually transformed. Now, the reason that love, joy, and peace are a fruit of the Spirit and hope is not is because there will come a day where hope, our hope, is seen. Right, Our hope in the coming kingdom, our hope in Jesus' arrival, there will come a day when he comes, when the kingdom is here, when Jesus has arrived. And as Paul says, who hopes for what he already sees? Our hope will be realized. But peace, joy, and love are aspects of our life that we will continue to develop in us. That even when we are with Christ, we will see the true fulfillment of these things in us. We will be perfectly loving. Joy. But in the meantime, these things are being worked out in us. We begin to experience them through the Spirit. So the Spirit's presence in our lives is the confirmation of the joy that Jesus said we would have because of his resurrection. 
that as we see the spirit working, as we see the spirit moving, it confirms in us that we truly do have access to what is what Jesus has promised us through his life, death, and resurrection. So the confirmation of our joy is ultimately the spirit within us. Now, but, but there's two aspects to this that we need to see. Uh, and, and Sam said something like this before, and he had no idea I was going here, but he nailed it in quoting Martin Luther, where he said that Luther uh, says that the human heart has, this, has the ability to turn inwards on, on itself, so that we begin to focus more on ourselves rather than focus on others. And that, that's our natural tendency, and that's especially true of us when we go through difficulty. When we're not experiencing happiness or gladness or even joy, we have a tendency to curve back inwards. But, but Paul says in Galatians, he says, the spirit of Christ is within you. Now, if you want to experience that, what you need to do is step into life in the spirit. Step into the life that God has called you to, into living in the way that Christ commanded you, living into the God-honoring lifestyle. You see, so often the reason that we don't experience the joy that the Spirit has called us to is because we don't actually step into the Spirit-filled life. We don't step into the mission of God. We don't step into the kingdom of God. We sort of sit back and we're like, okay, I have this Spirit, why don't I feel joyful? And Paul says, if you want to experience this, you have to step into it. You have to, you have to follow, live in the path of the Spirit that is in you. But here's the thing. Uh, and, and by the way, there are several places in the New Testament where this is where joy is the fulfillment of or living into the plan of God and the call of God in your life. In fact, if you look at like John the Baptist, John the Baptist is doing his work. He's heralding the coming of Christ. And then there's this moment where Jesus, he baptizes Jesus. Then Jesus goes off and many of John's followers begin to follow Jesus. And his disciples, John's disciples, come to him like, hey, man, are you, are you upset about this, that your disciples are following Jesus? And John says, no, because he must become more and I must become less. And now, he says, my joy is complete because he, because I've, I've stepped into this life. I've lived out the call that God has called me to. Paul says to the churches that he evangelized and start, make my complete by carrying out and living into the God-honoring lifestyle. Jesus himself, as you know, we learn in Philippians, that Jesus endures the cross, spurning its shame for the joy set before him, that living into the Christ-honoring, the spirit-filled life will bring us joy. But here is what I want to say, is that many times we, we, we may be doing that. We may think or we may be trying to live into, um, sorry, something just popped up on my screen. Hopefully that didn't stop us. Whatever. Um, uh, living into the Christ-honoring lifestyle, but we may not be experiencing this joy. You see, what we have to understand is that when Paul calls us to live into the spirit-filled life, what he's also telling us is that joy is not something that can be manufactured. Joy is not something that we can just simply go out and do and make happen in our lives. If that were the case, then joy would come to us through the law of God. That we could simply follow God's law and then we would experience joy. But what Paul says is that the reason Jesus comes is because we experience that joy. We can't manufacture that joy. What we need instead is that we need to go and we need to live and we need to experience the Spirit's transformation that brings us joy because joy 
is a state of being. Joy is a state of living. It's not an emotion. It's not gladness and happiness. In the end, it's a state of being. And so the encouragement of this passage in Galatians, the, the gospel, is that when we are, even if we are living in the spirit-filled life and we're not experiencing joy, we can recognize that we can't manufacture it. So in moments of sorrow, we go not to try harder, not to be better, but we go to the spirit. And we say, spirit, bring me joy. Spirit, renew my soul. Spirit, bring me the joy that I know I have because of Jesus that is confirmed in my soul because of your presence. Bring me that joy. That is the confirmation. Despite our discomfort, despite our difficulties, I pray we run there, that we rest in the presence of the Spirit, and we would begin to experience joy. The confidence of our joy, the confirmation of our joy, and lastly, the craving of our joy. I admit to you that craving is a bit of an odd word, um, but I thought to myself, well, maybe it fits because we started talking about childbirth and craving can be part of, of bearing children. We, we, I've been excited. We've just had two births this week at Restore, uh, two new children being born, COVID babies. Uh, so we're very thankful for that. Um, but here, it, it does seem like a weird word to use the word craving. But here's what I want us to think and see is that there's something about Jesus teaching to us that seems to indicate that our, that, that our desire for the kingdom of heaven should be so great that it really is like a craving that we almost crave it. It becomes our highest ambition, our only goal, the, the object of our joy. So he says this to us in one of Jesus' shortest parables. He says this in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Can you imagine if someone you knew sold everything that they had and went and bought a field? Now, that may not be as difficult for, for some of us to imagine these days. I know there's a lot of people moving, you know, they, they decided, oh, the pandemic hit. They moved out of New York City and they went out and bought a field somewhere. You know, that so that has happened. Um, but I don't know if you've ever driven through some of the rural areas in and around, um, you know, New Jersey, Connecticut, upstate New York. And every field looks exactly the same. You know, I drive by and I go, what makes that field better than this field? I have no idea. But this guy in the story that Jesus tells, he finds a field, he runs out and he buys, he sells everything, not just reorient, you know, rearranges his finances, not sells his car, not takes out a second mortgage. He sells everything. And he goes and he buys this field. Why does he do that? Because what he has experienced and what he has seen and what he has discovered in the field is worth so much more to him than everything else that he has that it, he knows that if I just have that, if that's the only thing that I have, I will have great joy. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. When you experience and you live into the kingdom of heaven, when you've been brought into the kingdom of heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ, when you experience Jesus 
it will bring you great joy because it will be of more value than anything else that you have. Our joy longs for something to have joy in. Our joy is looking for gladness and happiness and wants to rejoice. Our joy wants to run. Our joy wants to dance in the corner, even though it makes no sense, but we want to dance. Our joy wants an object to find joy in. We crave it. We chase it down. We look for it over and over and over, hoping to experience that endorphin rush. We want something that will finally fulfill us and finally bring about what we had always hoped, that joy would not be elusive, that joy would not be tied to our emotions, but that joy truly would be our state of being. That joy would be just who we are now. What we desire is that we would be the owners of the thing that brings us joy. And what Jesus says is, you have found that in me. You have found that in the kingdom of heaven. This is why the message of Christmas is a message of great joy. It isn't the parties. It isn't the gifts. It isn't the food or the drink or the celebration. All of those are good things that God has given us to experience the emotions of joy. But the reason that the good news is a message of great joy is because of this today in the city of David, a savior has been born and his name is Christ the Lord. He is the object of our joy. That's the message of the gospel. Let me pray with us. Father, thank you that even in these days, we still have joy. Lord, even when it feels like it's elusive to us, we know that it is confirmed in our souls by the presence of the Spirit. May the Spirit enliven our hearts, make us sense and experience that joy in a new way today. Pray these things in your name, Lord. Amen.